This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. <clears throat> Told me just yesterday. One of my sons told me yesterday that sounds not it's not clear. Sounds not clear. Told me yesterday that a few summers the Mashkiach of Lakewood and Nasan Vatsfagel Sagatzalikudrocha used to come to the Stoliner camp, his son in law and daughter were there. Mezefa Ben Asman and Tishabov. Everyone who knew him knows that to him, Moshiach was a reality. It wasn't just a song. It wasn't just something that you talk about in the, in the davening. To him, Moshiach was a reality. He waited for Moshiach. And Tisha B'Av, when he was coming to shul for Meirif, for Kinnis, for Eicha, somebody offered him, they'll bring a stool for him. no. They brought him a kinnis. No. That's Mariv. And when the Balkaira started to rain, Eicha, he would scream, Ay! Eicha! To him, the Chub Mesa Migdash was a reality. It's not a Musa Sefer. It's a Shulchan Aruch. Halacha, the very first simon in Shulchan Aruch, Arachayim, Siv Gimel. Ro'oi l'chol yirei shamayim li yais meitzar v'doyeg akhurim beis ha-migdash. It's proper for every yirei shamayim to grieve and to worry to feel pain over the Churban of the Beis HaMikdash. The Kedusha Harim asks a very simple question, an obvious question. Every Yeresh Amayim should feel pain over the Churban Beis HaMikdash, and if someone does not a Yeresh Amayim, me, I'm not a big Yeresh Amayim. I should not feel pain for the Churban Beis HaMikdash? The Chudush says, truth is, the Gemara tells us, and we all know this, every door in which the Beis HaMikdash has not been built, it's as if it was destroyed in that generation. If in every single generation, if we were what we were supposed to be, we would have the Beis HaMikdash. And if we don't have the Beis HaMikdash, it means that Klal Yisrael is lacking. Of course, they're at Tzadikim, they're at Great Tzadikim, they're Balabatim, Yereshemayim, Shleimim, and then people who do business honestly, the way it says in Chesh and Mishpat. But the nation as a whole is lacking, and otherwise, if we'd all be what we're supposed to be, we'd have a Beis HaMikdash. <coughs> In other words, in other words, we all have a share in the Churban Beis Hamikdash. It's not something that happened in the year sixty-eight or seventy, whatever the historians will will debate which year it was. It's an ongoing thing, and we're part of we're part of Klal Yisrael. If we don't have it, it's because we, as Klal Yisrael, don't deserve to have it. If you're a Reshamayim, you feel the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And if you're not, enough of a Reshamayim, then you should be Meitzar Vidoyeg. You should feel the pain. Why do I not feel? Why do I not recognize? Why do I not have the emotional pull to be part of Klal Yisrael? Why am I lacking? Why am I indifferent 
to the suffering of other people. That's something to be met. The base time interest that will come. When you, once you reach that madrega, when you feel you're part of Klal Yisrael, and you share the suffering of Klal Yisrael, when another Jew suffers, that I'm in pain, if you reach that madrega, then you'll feel the lack of the Beis Amigdash. But until then, until then, feel the pain that you're lacking in Avas Yisrael. Achtos, the unity of Klal Yisrael, is a precious thing to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Maral, the Maral explains the difference between first base Hamigdash and the second base Hamigdash, the Churban of the first base Hamigdash and the Churban of the second base Hamigdash. Now we, were, we all know, the Gemara tells us in Yuma, and we hear this every year, the first base Hamidrash was Chara because of the three cardinal sins of Aydazara, Gilearais, Hishvich, Hizdamim. Second base Hamidrash, the Gemara asks, they were Tzadikim, they learned, it was the time of the Mishnah, Tereshavah, why was the second base Hamidrash Chara? Second base Hamidrash was Chara because of Sinas Chinam. And the Maharal explains, the first base Hamidrash, Klal Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael, had a kiyum, was secure, and the Beis Amigdash stood because there was Kedusha in Klal Yisrael. <laughs> Not just the Beis Hamigdash was holy. Not just there was Asher HaShashchin in the Beis Hamigdash. Klal Yisrael had Kedusha. And when you had such a virus, the Kedusha began to ebb away from Klal Yisrael. The Kedusha left Klal Yisrael. When the Kedusha leaves Klal Yisrael, then the Kedusha leaves, leaves the Beis Hamigdash too. The Kedusha wasn't there. The secret of the, the endurance of the Beis Hamigdash and of Klal Yisrael's survival in Eretz Yisrael was Kedusha. And if there's no Kedusha, then there's no survival. The Beis Hamigdash, the Beis Hamigdash was a beautiful building on the hill an architectural masterpiece, perhaps. I remember, I remember growing up in, in, in Newark, New Jersey, and the Reform temples, the conservative temples, magnificent, magnificent structures. They don't build them that way today. But there was no kedusha. They were empty. They were just buildings. When the Beis Hamidrash became nothing more than a building, Rechman without the Kedusha, then it couldn't survive. And Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael could not survive. And that brought the Churban of the first Beis Hamidrash. But the second Beis Hamidrash never had that level of Kedusha. The Oren was not there, Shuras Ashkina was not there. The second Beis Hamidrash did not have the same Kedusha. So, what was the basis for the survival of the second base Hamigdash and Klal Yisrael in the time of the second base Hamigdash? It was Achtos. There was unity among the people. There was unity among the people. Unity among the people is a big thing, you know. Kids come home before Pesach and they tell us that the Tzis Mitzrayim, what was the schus? They didn't change their Jewish names and their Jewish clothing and their Jewish the language. There's another thing that they don't teach our children, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Tonavelio says that when the there was a strict quota of bricks, even before the straw was taken away, when the straw was taken away it became much harder. And Jews told one another, if you can't meet your quota for the day, I'll work harder. I'll give you bricks. And that, Tonad says, that was the schus for Yitzhiyus Mitzrayim. The people could have fallen to a Lomadreg in many, many ways, but they were united. Because they were united, that was a schus for Yitzhiyus Mitzrayim. 
And the Maral says that that was the schus in the time of the second day Sanigdash. Klal Yisrael was united. And once you had sinners chinam, once you had hatred without cause, once you had machlaikas, then the unity was gone. If the unity is gone, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't judge Klal Yisrael as a unit because it wasn't a unit anymore. It was just a bunch of hundreds of thousands of, of individuals. And individuals can't be zeichet. So the Beis Hamidosh became Kharif. There's a remarkable Meshachachma on the same theme. And the Torah tells us about the, the, the nest of Kriyas Yamsuf. It says two times, Ramayim Lahem Chaima. The water, the waters of the Yamsuf stood up, Chaima, like a wall. Like a wall. And Chazal say, Chazal say that Chaima can be read as Chaima, anger, wrath. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was angry. Why was HaKadosh Baruch Hu angry? There was anger. Because the Tsar of Mitzrayim came and said, Rebbeinish Layla, you're, 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 you're splitting the sea and you're turning the water into a wall to save Klal Yisrael and then, and then the wall will come down and drown the Mitzrayim. Halolov In Mitzrayim, they were all the same Why does Klal Yisrael deserve a mess and the Mitzrayim deserve to die? Good question. And the Gemara says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered that uh, the Jews in Mitzrayim, they were forced to. They didn't have choice. They were enslaved. But there's an obvious question here. There were ten makas in Mitzrayim. Why didn't the Tsar of Mitzrayim come then and say, Rabbi why are you destroying Mitzrayim? Why are you bringing these makas on the Mitzrayim? Halaloev de'avadizorah, halaloev de'avadizorah. Makas Bechairis, why? Why didn't he ask the same question? Why did he wait till Kriyas Yamsuf? And another question the Meshachachma asks. It says twice, Chaimo. The first time it's spelled with a Vav, Ches Vav Memhe. And you can't read that as Chaimo. You cannot read that as Chema. There's a Vav there. The second time in the Pasuk, there's no Vav. Ches Mem He. Ches Mem He can be read as Chema. So apparently at the beginning, there was no anger. At the end, there was. Why? What was the difference? And the Meshachachma says, he answers both questions. Klal Yisrael was unified. They were unified in Mitzrayim. They were unified when they came to the Yam Suf. When there's unity, Sarah Shalom Mitzrayim, you're going to come. Times are better. Shalom. Hello, Lord of Israel. Hello, Lord of Israel. Look! Look! Look at my people. Look at Klal Yisrael. It's Achdus. They're together. They care for one another. Forget your tightness. But then, but then when the Egyptian army approached, and the people looked around, the Mitzrim are, are behind them, and the water is, and the sea is in front of them, and the Midbar is here, and they started to argue, what, what, what do we do? What should we do? And they started to argue with one another. Ooh, they're arguing with one another. The unity is gone. Now there's no Achtos. Now the Chaimah becomes Chaimah. Now the Tsar of Mitzrayim can come with the Taina. I'm sure it will not surprise anybody to hear that there is a lot of disunity in Klal Yisrael. And then in the last two months, there was a change. The last two months, things happened. Three boys were kidnapped. And for 19 days, for 19 days, Klal Yisrael, everywhere, Klal Yisrael was mispalo. There's no shachris minchamar that, that ended without a capital tilling. 
And we listened to the news and we looked in the papers. Is there anything new? Is there anything happening? Why can't they find them? Klal Yisrael was united. Yair Lapid, the minister of the treasury in Israel, is a sworn enemy of the Torah community, has made it his goal, his goal to ruin Kailalim, to ruin yeshivas, to stop Torah and Klal Yisrael. And he went to the Menachem, the Menachem Oval, the parents, when, when, when we learned of the tragedy that the three boys were gone, and he said, when he heard it, and this man is a, is a self-declared atheist, says when he heard that they were kidnapped for the first time since, since his son's bar mitzvah, six years before, he opened up a sitter. And he said it's filler for the boys. That's Achtos. Klal Yisrael was unified. And then, and then came the war, the war in Gaza. And Jews everywhere, everywhere, were unified. Tefillahs for the soldiers, Tefillahs for the Medina. May, may communities be spared from missiles and rockets. May the boys come back alive. Arzai Habira is a, it's a, it's a neighborhood in Yerushalayim. Five massive apartment houses. And mostly it's, a, it's Kailo families, a lot of American Kailo families, Israelis. And a couple of ladies in Arzai Habira heard that the soldiers at the front don't have very good food, you know, army rations. It's not the most appetizing thing in the world. So they got together and they organized the whole community. Arzai Abira, I don't know how many families, dozens, scores, maybe maybe more than a hundred families. And these are families that in a good week they'll have chicken twice a week. And they took their chicken, and they took their Shabbos food, and they cooked it up, and they made, they made packages, boxes, and arranged for trucks to bring them to the front to Gaza to the soldiers. A man comes home, and this is a, this is a true story. A man comes home, and it was supposed to be a chicken night. Comes home from the Kailo, and they're sitting around the supper table, and there's tuna fish. Now, he wasn't going to embarrass his wife and ask what happened. But one of the children, one of the little children, you know, children always say what's on their mind. Mommy, we're supposed to have chicken tonight. And she said, they're soldiers, they're fighting for us. They're fighting to defend us, and they don't have good food. So all of us took the chicken, and we cooked it up, and we sent it to the soldiers. And the father said, Kindalach. Tonight's tuna fish is more delicious than the Shabbos chicken. A man went to a takeout store, fast food store. He's going to order up some packages of food. And they ask him, well, what, what's it for? You have a simcha, you have company, you're making a bris. Well, what is it for? And he said, no, he, hold, he heard that the soldiers don't have good food. And he's, he wants to make a nice package and send it to the front. So for the soldiers, fellow called up all of his help, all the people, the cooks, the back, the whole crew, empty out everything and cook it all up. And we're sending, we're sending, we're sending boxes, everything we have. We're sending it to the front. That's Achtos. That's unity. That's unity. And Klal Yisrael is unified. Then Klal Yisrael has a Yeshua. So. What does it have to do with us? We're, we're not sending chicken to Gaza. Spoiled before it gets there. Not even a matter of sending a check. What's our share? What's our chalik in this? Many years ago, I was once at a tzedakah affair, and I was 
I was sitting next to Reb Shavsi Yudalevich, it's one of the famous Magidim in, uh, in Yerushalayim at that time. And he told me that after the Yom Kippur War, two and a half thousand, two and a half thousand soldiers were killed in the Yom Kippur War. And after the war, they, they made a ceremony at a new military cemetery that had been used for these, for these Kedoshim. And they were making the dedication for the cemetery, and, and people came all quarters, the, the political parties and organizations, and the Fruma and the Freya, everybody had a representative. And he, Ripshapsi, was a representative of the, of the Haredim. Abbas! Our representative. And everybody spoke, and he was one of the later speakers, and everybody spoke the heroism of the soldiers and the Kedoshim is in it, and they say, then his turn came. And he said, every single word that we heard until now was true. The soldiers saved the country. But you're wondering, what did the Fruma do? What did the yeshiva light do? And people leaned forward. Yeah, what did the yeshiva light do? What 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 did they do? What did they accomplish? Sitting in sitting in the yeshiva or in Zbenazmanin or when other when other people were at the front getting their heads blown off. What did they do? And Rabshavsi Levitz said at the beginning of the war, the military called in the heads of the Khever Kadisha. The burials, burial societies. And they told them, secretly, prepare 80,000 graves. 80, 80. Prepare 80,000 graves. That's how bad the government was afraid it might be. And there were only, there were two and a half thousand Kedoshim, not 80,000. That's what the yeshiva light did. That's what Torah did. That's what Torah accomplished. These last four weeks, these last four weeks with the war going on, most of the yeshivas, some that I know, Bells and Gare and Vizhnitz and Stalin and Brisk said, no Benazmanin. As long as soldiers are fighting, we have to fight with Torah. We have to fight with Torah. Not 80,000 kvarim, 2,500 kvarim. We, all of us, and myself included, we we don't begin we don't begin to realize the power of our Torah and Mitzvahs. The capital tell him, fine. But doing something more, doing something extra. Giving up your giving up your chicken, giving up time, putting more time into a mitzvah. Showing some dedication to Klal Yisrael as a Klal. Those, those, those meals that were going from Arzai Habira to the front, they didn't ask a soldier to, to show, to show his tzitzis. You were there, you got, you got help, you got what you needed. From, not from, Chasid, Misnagid, Apikairis, who cares? You're a Jew. One of the great Hasidic Rebbe's from 200 years ago, I don't remember the name, he said, the Rabbani Shalom loves, the Rabbani Shalom loves every Russia in Klal Yisrael more than I love the biggest tzaddik in Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael, there's, there's an internal Kedusha that can't be taken away. That's Mogen Avram. The bracha ends with Avram Avinu because there's a kedusha, there's 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 something that comes from Avram. 
that remains in every single member of Klal Yisrael. When they talk about Yiddish, the Pintalayid, that Nitzutz, that spark, that little bit of a Jew. It's, it's in every Jew. There was, there was a missile, there was a missile in this war that was aimed at Tel Aviv. And the story's been in print and I, and I spoke to somebody who personally verified it. A missile coming at Tel Aviv. And it would have, it was directed, it would have hit one of the biggest buildings in town, the uh, Ariely Tower, Israeli Tower, something like that. If it had hit, it could have been, Rahman al-Islam, it could have been a 9-11. And there was a young commander of the Iron Dome facility there. He shot, and it missed, and he shot again, and it missed. And the third time, I think it jammed. And the missile was heading for that building. And then there was a sudden gust of wind and blew it out, and it landed in the Mediterranean Sea. You know, this is July. You don't, you don't have hurricanes in Eretz Israel in July. There was no rational way to account, to account for this. The missile was going to hit, and the Iron Dome couldn't stop it, and the wind blew it out into the sea. And this soldier had gone to yeshiva, and after, and after the eighth grade he left, and he's nothing, nothing, no Shabbos, no tefillin, nothing, zero. This commander of the Iron Dome, right there. And he screamed, Yeshelokim, Yeshelokim, Yeshelokim. And when his shift was over, a couple hours later, he went to a shul and he put on tefillin. And he called up the last rabbi that he had. And he told him the story. And he said, when he gets out of the army, in another four or five months he'll be out of the army. He's going to yeshiva to learn. Yeshelakim. Yeshelakim. The schus There's a way that we have to look at history. There's a way that we have to look at history. And I, I became aware of this for the first time. I should have realized it before. Maybe I should have heard about it in the yeshiva before. I probably should have heard about it, but I didn't. I was at a, an Aguda convention in Rebaruch Sarotskin. Tells her Rosh Hashiva spoke. And said it was after the Yom Kippur War the Arab country suffered a resounding defeat and and the next year or so they decided that we once and for all we have to get together we have to have a battle plan, we have to unite we're going to invade Israel from all sides we're going to push them into the Mediterranean Sea, finished enough and right then Right then, there was a, a war broke out in Jordan. The PLO, still led at, led at that time by Yasser Arafat, decided to overthrow King Hussein. And Hussein mobilized his army against the PLA, PLO, and Israel let it be known quietly, diplomatically, diplomatically to Syria and to Lebanon that if they got involved in the battle, Israel would come and attack them. Israel was going to defend Jordan. The PLO was pushed out of Jordan. 15,000 of them were killed, King Yerbu. Pushed out of Jordan, pushed into Lebanon, and the leadership went to Tunisia. And for many years, they were not, they were not a menace. And Rabbi Sarotskin said, it's a, you, you have to see the Yad Hashem here. They were ready... All of the surrounding countries were ready to mobilize and invade Israel. So the Rabbani Shalom made a mocham among them. So the Arabs are fighting among themselves, and they, and they had no time for the Jews. Now, let's look in the light of that, in the light of that observation, of that, of that insight. Let's look at the last month. Can you imagine... Can you just imagine what would have happened if the world was not distracted 
And Israel is attacking, is attacking Aza. And Nebuch, 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 innocent people are being killed. Because they're being used as human shields. Because missiles and rockets are being fired from schools and from hospitals and from private homes. The world would have come down on air to show like a ton of bricks. But what happened? There's a war in Syria. The craziest of the crazies took over a major part of Iraq and Syria and now Lebanon, ISIS. There's, there's an atomic threat, nuclear threat from Iran. Russia annexes Crimea and Russian supported forces are fighting in Ukraine. And then they shoot down the Malaysian plane with almost 300 people. And the world is busy. They're busy. They're too busy. And with all the cynicism that they have. My wife, Alara Shalom, and I once had the schools to, to be guests for, for a Shabbos Suda, Drip Shimon Schwab, And this was shortly after the fall of the of the Berlin Wall, which was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. And Rav Schwab said, Rav Schwab said, what protects the Jews in Eretz Yisrael? What protects our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael? He said, Israel does not have a friend in the world. America, he said, I meant word for word. He says, Israel does not have a friend in the world. America is not an enemy, but it's not a friend. Is Obama an enemy? No, you can't say that. Is Kerry an enemy? Can't say that either. Are they friends? So Rav Schwab said, so what protects, what protects the Jews in Eretz Yisrael? As it's the people, it's the people who are sitting and learning. I'm not talking about the Americans who get checks from home. That's also a big thing. But the protection of, of Yidin Eretz Yisrael is Kailo Yungalite who go to sleep hungry. <coughs> who literally learn Torah with mysterious nefesh and don't have enough food for themselves and their families. That's the protection. That's, that's how an Adam Godel looks at history. The Rabbani Shalom is protecting. The Rabbani Shalom is protecting. And the Rabbani Shalom now, in, in the last couple of months, when we needed probably more protection than ever, because until, until when? Until this year. When did it ever happen that, that missiles can reach Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv and, and, and almost to Haifa? More than two-thirds of the country. More than two-thirds of the population. And we're, we're, we're saved because of the Iron Dome? What made the Iron Dome happen? Isn't that also in the Schus of Torah? After one of the wars, some general made a speech and he said, Yisrael betach betzahal. Yisrael betach betzahal. Without Torah, there's no tzahal. Without Kedusha, there's no Beis HaMikdash. Without Achtus, there's no Beis HaMikdash. Without Achtus, there's no security. Without Torah, there's no safety. Rabbi Sai, you know, past years, past years I've, all, I've always said here from this, from this beamer, it's, it's so far, it's so divorced from us. What hasaga do we have in Beis Amigdash? You know, it, it's ancient, ancient history, and you read the kinnas with translation, with commentary, and people suffering. Yeah, but it's so far away. We're not a, we're not attached to it. It's so, it's so hard for us to feel it. But Tisha B'Av is not only 
Korban first, second base Hamigdash, Meraglin. Tisha B'Av has been a day that, that has lived in infamy throughout our history. The deadline for the expulsion from Spain, the Spanish Inquisition, when people, Jews, either had to be out of the country or else they had two choices. Either you convert to Islam or you burn at the stake. The deadline was Tisha B'Av. Is on Tisha B'Av, the, the, the Abarbanel led thousands of people across the border from Spain into Portugal. And he passed them that they could have music accompanying them. The First World War broke out on Tisha B'Av. And the first, the Holocaust is really traced to the First World War because the First World War broke apart the Eastern European communities, the terror communities. There was depression, there was inflation. The first, the aftermath of the First World War brought Hitler to power. So we talk about Holocaust, six million Jews. It really began on Tisha B'Av, 1914. The final liquidation of the, of the Warsaw Ghetto began on Tisha B'Av. So let me tell you just a couple of things from World War II, from the Holocaust. To be more ourselves, myself included, to what, to what the meaning of Tisha B'Av is. The Jewish observer once asked me to interview the Bujavar Rebbe, Bujavarov. He spent five years, five years, in ghettos, concentration camps, slave labor camps. He saw his wife, his only child, a daughter, his son-in-law, and his only grandchild, a little girl, shot before his eyes. He survived, came to America, rebuilt his life, and was nifter just a few months short of his 100th birthday. But he saw it all. And I spent, he gave me, he gave me a couple hours, told me stories of what happened. Let me share just a couple of them with you. And, and I emphasize this because I heard this from the Baldover himself. First person stories. He was in a slave labor camp. And his job was to saw wood in an open field. And he's sawing the wood and he saw one of the very barbaric scenes and he saw it for five years and this is one of the worst. They got all the, all the mothers who had babies less than a month old were ordered out into the field and they were going to be taken to the gas chambers. And a woman, a woman comes holding her, holding her infant and she says, a messer, a knife, I want a knife. And he thought she wanted to commit suicide. So he ran over to her, said, don't even think about such a thing, no matter how much you're suffering. You're not allowed to kill yourself. Every, every minute of life is, is precious. You have to have faith in the Rabbanish Shalom. We have to save lives. You don't take lives. He wasn't even finished talking to her. An SS guard, SS guard hit him in the head and knocked him down and kicked him. And he said, he said, you dog, what are you plotting? What are you talking about? Tell me right away or I'll kill you. And he said, I'm not, we're not plotting. I have no plots. The woman wants to kill herself. She wants a knife to kill herself. And I told her, you have to stay alive and healthy so that you can work. The soldier heard that and he said to the woman, what did he tell you? And she said the same thing. He smiled and he gave her a knife. Gave her a knife. He could watch the show. You know, let the woman kill herself. She took the knife. Put her baby down on the ground. Unwrapped. Unwrapped him. Took the knife. And said, 
And she was mild a baby. She said, You gave me a pure Jewish child. Now he's eight days old, and we're being taken to die. I return him to you as a pure and holy Jew. Another story that happened in one of the concentration camps with the Bujavarov. It was Erev Hanukkah. It was Erev Hanukkah. And the Nazis just, unless they did this periodically, you know, just for the heck of it and to, uh, and, and to terrify the people just took out an X number of Jews and then shot them. Shot them, and then, and then the dead bodies are laying on the ground, and people are coming back from their slave labor, and they step over the bodies. Nobody was allowed to bury them. And it was Erev Hanukkah, and the people had come to him, to the Bujvarov, and they said, they said, Rabbi, we want a Hanukkah memorial. They want a light Hanukkah memorial. Hanukkah memorial. It's a con. If they had been seen, they could have been machine gunned down. But they want to do it, they do it, yes. In that slave labor camp, there was a factory that made uniforms for German soldiers. And the buttons were made of metal. So the, the ladies, the men, took some of the, the metal for the buttons and they fashioned a cup to hold oil. The polish that was used for the shoes was oil and it was flammable so they used that for the for the shaman and the ladies pulled threads out of the out of the material for the uniforms and they made wicks and they got together at night the first night of Hanukkah and Davin Meirut and there were 2,000 Jews 2,000 Jews in Davin Meirut and then after Meirut after Meirut the Rebbe the Rebbe lit Hanukkah. He lit them in the Torah, made the three brachas, made the three brachas, and they sang Moish Tzur quietly, and they all went back to their barracks. How did this story come to light? There was a chassid or a mispalal of the B'tulshivarov, a man named Haskell Frankel. He went to Poland to pay for Ovis. Somebody came over to him, a Jew came over to him, communist, and he said, do you know uh, Rabbi Yisrael Shapira? He says, yeah, he's my Rav. Tell him Zamuchkovsky. Zamuchkovsky said to tell him that he saved my life. What happened? You'll tell him, he'll know. So, Frankel, when he came back to America, he told the Bruce Rav, Zamuchkovsky. So the Rav told him the story with the Hanukkah Menorah. He says, when it was all over, Izamichkovsky came, came to the Blue Rav, and he said, he said, Ravin Shapira, you want to do, you, you want to do your mitzvah for your God, it was your God, because he didn't believe. He was, an, he, was, he was a communist. You want to do, you want to do this for your God? Gesundheit. All right. But how could you be such a hypocrite? How could you be such a hypocrite? You make a bracha shehechiyanu. You're thanking your God that he kept us alive. We wish we were dead. What kind of life do we have? We're starving, we're beaten, we're in pain. And you're thanking your God that he's keeping us alive. You're a hypocrite. How could you make fun of us? Listen to what the Bruzhvarov told him. I took notes. This is what he said. You ask a very good question. I too was wondering how I could joyfully say such a bracha. And then I looked around and what did I see? Thousands of Jews gathered together 
to watch the Hadloka. They have a right to give up hope, but they insist on remaining Jews. Never have we seen such a demonstration of Jewish courage and strength. For that alone, it's sufficient to thank the Rabbi Shalom for giving us the privilege to be alive and to see the greatness of our people. You see all these Jews, and yet you ask? You amaze me. You know our history. When you speak of Jewish suffering during the Inquisition, the Chnalnitsky massacres, you admire those Jews for having the courage to rebuild. Yet you think you have suffered more than they? That you have a right to surrender and give up hope? What makes you think that you had suffered more than any other Jew in history? No! We do not give up. We are proud that we have lived to see thousands of Jews who will never give up and who prove that we will rebuild again. And years later, Samichkovsky, the communist, said, tell Robin Shapira that he saved my life. He gave me hope. <laughs> Let me close. Let me close with a, with a story that I hope, I hope we all remember, and I hope that we use it in our daily lives as long as we live. It was after World War II. There was a man in B'nai Brak. He had lost his whole family. He was the only survivor. And he felt guilt. He felt guilt. Why was he alive? And everybody else was dead. And he had you know, also problems in the Parnassa health. He didn't want to live. And he told, told a friend of his, I'm a Yayish. I'm a Yayish. I give up hope. I, I, I wish I were dead. I don't want to live. This man took him to the Chazonish, the Godel Hadar. And the Chazonish said, I want to tell you a story. Zemai said this happened in, in Kovna before the war. There was a Jewish family. Farmers lived in a, in a, in a shtetl. Saved up. Poor, poor family, they saved up all their lives, they saved, they saved, they saved. And everything they had, they decided it was something that they wanted to buy in Kovna. I don't know what it was, the story that, that doesn't say what she wanted, what they wanted to get. And the wife went to Kovna with an envelope with the life savings of herself and her husband. She lost the envelope. She lost the money. She lost her life savings. She couldn't come to herself. How could she go back home? What, should, what could she tell her husband? What could she tell her children? What could she do? The woman was going out of her mind. A few days later, a man came to his roof and he said, I found the money. I found the envelope. Baruch Hashem, let's get the woman, let's give it back to her. Such a simcha. He said, no. No. It belongs to me. Remember fifth grade, Ela Messias, you find money. You're always tapping your, your, your pocket, and if the wallet is missing, you know the wallet is missing, and you give up hope. That's the din. Belongs to me. Rabbi Nishan wanted me to have the money. I'm not giving it back. The Rabbi didn't know what to tell him. He said, come, let's go to Rabbi Skolkochonim. Kovnerov, Paisikador. And he told Rabbi Skolkochonim the nice thing. Rabbi Skolkochonim says, yeah, you're right. You're right. You find money. You find money. The owner is Miyayish. But this money, it's not her money. It's her husband's money. Her husband doesn't know it was lost. So he's not made Ayish. So you have to give it back. You have to give it back. And the Chazanish told this man, you're Mayayish from your life? Your life doesn't belong to you. Your life belongs to the Rabbanish Shalaylam. 
You're not a Balabas. You have no you have no right to be Miyayish. You have to go on, you have to build, you have to rebuild, you have to do things for people, you have to make yourself better, you have to make other people better. You can't be Miyayish. Rabbi Said. Everybody goes through hard times. We all do. And sometimes we want to give up. You don't give up. You don't give up. The Bruja Marav didn't give up. People in that in that concentration camp didn't give up. And when Zamachkovsky heard what the Bruja Marav had to say, even he didn't give up. Life belongs to the Rabbi Shalom. The Rabbi Shalom gave us life to use it, to make things better, to make Klal Yisrael better, to be Ba'achtas in Klal Yisrael, to make a Kiddush Hashem, to act in such a way that our children will be able to say that the tuna fish tastes better than the chicken. That's what we're here for. And that's really one of the lessons of Tisha B'Av. Klal Yisrael was destroyed, but Klal Yisrael rose. Klal Yisrael doesn't give up. Klal Yisrael builds. When I got married, there were fewer, fewer than 50 Kailo Yindalites in all of the United States. Fewer than 50 Kailo Yindalites in all of the United States. And look what happened. And because of us, because of you, because of people who are, who don't give up, who want to grow in Tyre and Yerushimai, and because of that, Klal Yisrael endures and grows and thrives, and Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael is safe from all of its enemies. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.